Welcome back to Beyond Well with Sheila Hamilton. This is a program for people who want to learn more about our interior lives. Bipolar disorder in children is a whole new topic, and we're devoting this entire half hour to it. Dr. Polo, it's so good to see you again. It's wonderful to be here again. First of all, starting with noting that there are more children being diagnosed with bipolar disorder than 10 years ago when my husband was first diagnosed and I knew hardly anything about it. Am I accurate in sensing that, that the number of diagnoses for kids is going up? Well, there's two ways to look at it. On one hand, there's a lot more awareness that kids can have symptoms that are consistent with bipolar. We've also gone through times when, when unfortunately, sometimes there's been a little bit overdiagnosis. I don't worry so much about you know, the diagnosis when it comes to a child in the sense that I don't want kids to necessarily feel labeled. Yeah. And so, you know, one of the things that's happened in our profession is we've created a new diagnosis that's called uh, disruptive mood dysregulation disorder, separate in two buckets um, what we're thinking about when it comes to kids. There are kids that are not able to regulate their own mood, and some of those kids go on to be actually be diagnosed with bipolar. But some of those kids actually grow out of, quote, quote, their dysregulated uh, mood disorder, that's separate and different from those mental health disorders where intermittent outbursts are actually part of the disorder. So, you know, think autism, bipolar, uh, those kinds of disorders. And I can imagine as a psychiatrist who is um, very measured in your use of antipsychotics and other drugs that you want to be particularly careful when starting a young mind on a kind of drug regimen, correct? Yo, yes, this is huge. When you have young kids that have any disorder, you want to, first of all, make sure that you help them understand in, in their mind, using their language, what, what's going on with them. Because remember, they're growing, they're developing, they're so sensitive to peer pressure, they're trying to figure out who they are. So giving them a sense of education, and then, of course, providing good education to the parents, because parents have to adapt, you know, sure. taking into account that their kids may sometimes be behaving in a way that they either don't like or don't understand. Um, and then counseling. Counseling is really critical to get kids to open up and share what their fears might be, what their worries might be, so that you can bring a sense of you know, understanding. And then, of course, critically, uh, medication. I would never deny a child that was having significant um, symptoms if I felt there was a medication that could help them. Right. I want to uh, just talk about the differences in onset when you're an adult, it's funny because so many of them are associated with behavioral um, challenges that people find to be like annoying. You're spending too much money. You're talking all the time. You're not sleeping. You're doing things that some people might dismiss as being, boy, this is odd behavior, but you don't necessarily always know it's bipolar disorder. So what are some of those similar things that you see in the onset in children where, where parents are like, what is going on here? What is happening yeah. with my kid? Yeah, super, super important to clarify this. So, so first of all, remember that um, average age of diagnosis is about 25. Most people that have bipolar, you can look back from diagnosis and say, well, their symptoms really kind of started about age 15, 16, 17, and they, yeah. they kind of develop over time. It's, it's much easier once you've made the diagnosis to look back and say, oh, now this makes sense. Oh, now that makes sense. Okay. Right. Now, when it comes to kids, uh, there's no question that, that some kids do um, develop symptoms earlier than, than that later teenage type window. 
you know, in the adult setting, we, we think of bipolar in, in simple terms of basically highs and lows, you know, mm-hmm. periods of mania and, you know, too much right. uh, kind of going on in the mind and too much energy and then lows, depressed, lack of energy. Now for kids, they don't often have distinctive highs and lows. What, what they really have is, is they have a lot of irritability. They have difficulties with focus. They have difficulties with attention. And of course, that can be both part of a high and a low. Yeah. They have sometimes happiness or silliness that seems out of proportion. Uh-huh. They get upset and irritable, uh, oftentimes in a way that's out of proportion. They can have difficulties, obviously, with overt depression, feeling sad, blue. They certainly can have challenges with, you know, too much energy or too little energy. Uh, but the problem is many of those symptoms that I've highlighted are also found in ADHD. Yeah, I was just going to ask about that, like how often that is yeah. uh, misdiagnosed. And, yeah. Yeah. And, and it's important to remember that even with bipolar disorder, you can have those conditions as well. And so it's very difficult. You want to tease out, first of all, what are the actual symptoms that are problematic for the child and yeah. how do we help those symptoms? before you ever get too bent out of shape about the diagnosis. I mean, if I have a child that, for example, is struggling with attention, um, I want to help them with their attention. The other thing in kids that you look for is when they're having these challenges, it's not just with the parents. It's with teachers. It's with their own friends. Mm. Uh, They have difficulty uh, with relationships across the spectrum. So it's, it's not just with parents. When, when parents come and tell me, you know, that their kids has all these symptoms and they're convinced, you know, that the, the child has a disorder, bipolar is, is, is one of the things that parents will sometimes ask about. But then they tell me, oh, he's great in school. Teacher loves him, you know, well attentive. He's doing well. His grades are up. But, you know, at home, that's usually a, a focused area where we need to kind of spend a little time thinking about, well, what's going on in the family? Okay. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So, so remember, and, and that's true for adults too. When, yeah. when you have bipolar disorder, you, you can't modulate those symptoms and control them from one group to another. Yeah. So I want to ask because oftentimes it, a bipolar disorder could show up as uh, ADHD type symptoms. So uh, Ritalin is one of those drugs that's used often for kids with ADHD, but that would, was a person with bipolar disorder, cause the mania to go out of control. So is that and part of what you do as you're yes. watching? Okay. Yeah. Yes. Oh, how interesting. Yeah, it's very interesting. It's a, it's a super important thing that child psychiatrists have to always be thinking about because remember that medications treat certain symptoms. They don't treat a diagnosis. Right. Symptoms can be part of different, you know, diagnoses. And unfortunately, all medications sometimes have side effects. So, you know, the medications that we use to treat ADHD are usually the synthetic amphetamines that focus your attention. They get you to, you know, be a little bit more uh, in the moment to be able to, you know, uh, screen out all the other stuff. But they also create a lot of energy and they can also create being alert. And for people that have bipolar, that can actually push them over into a kind of a mania state. So, you know, when it comes to children, I'm very cautious to, first of all, discriminate the symptoms. I'm very careful to explain to the parents, hey, this is what the medicine can do. These are the potential side effects. And then I start very slow and and I go slow. There's no rush. There's no need to be rushed to get there. That way, if you do run into a slight problem, you can back away. There's nothing worse 
than a poor child having a significant side effect that now becomes afraid of any medication you want to give them. Oh, I can only imagine. So you you were talking um, earlier about some of the treatment difficulties that arise just simply because of the kid's age. What are those, Dr. Polo? Like what unique things happen because the kid is like 8 to 15 years old? One of the biggest things that I worry about um, with uh, behavioral challenges that are generally associated with what we would think is a, a disruptive mood dysregulation disorder is they have a lot of trouble fitting in. Uh, and other kids will, unfortunately, sometimes to be cruel, they'll make fun of them or they'll mm-hmm. call them names. And so in addition with the child struggling with how they feel uh, in terms of their mood or how they feel in terms of getting along, they, they start to really have a real huge impact on their own sense of self-esteem. And they can feel kind of irrelevant or worthless. They can become hopeless. And so the reason why that becomes important is, unfortunately, people with bipolar and kids that have symptoms of dysregulated mood disorder frequently have suicidal thoughts. And unfortunately, they sometimes attempt. Oh, my goodness. uh, So my biggest concern is, how do I help this individual recognize, hey, look, you're okay. You do have some problems that we're going to help with. These are medical, but I worry about their sense of self and who they are. Oh, I can only imagine. It must be heartbreaking as a parent, you know, when you're, all you want is just your health and happiness for your child. And to receive the news of a diagnosis like this, especially if you're not aware that people can do well on medication, um, how do you walk the parents through the brokenheartedness of receiving this news? You know, I gotta, I gotta be honest with you and tell you that sometimes this is, this is hard for me. Um, and, and the reason why is because sometimes I have parents that are just wonderful. Yeah. Um, they clearly love their child. Their child could do anything. They're still going to love their child. I have other parents sometimes that have avoided coming to see me. They're coming as a last resort or because they've been you know, told they have to or whatever. And so I'm balancing between how do I communicate good, accurate information to this parent, knowing full well that they may have their own biases or whatever. And then I got to remember that this is the same parent that's, you know, at home with this kid. Mm. And sometimes parents themselves, you know, need coaching. How do you handle a child that's being, you know, risky and doing behavior without putting them on restriction for, you know, ever? Right. Or how do you handle a, a, a child that's being aggressive and out of control with, without hurting them and hitting them? And so I, I really, I really try to engage parents to get them to recognize kids don't behave in in a manner purposefully to irritate other people. Yeah, they're doing the best they can, right? I have a kid that's got an impulse control disorder, conduct disorder. I mean, kids struggle to fit in. They they want to they want to be part of our world and they want to fit in with the people around them. And sometimes getting parents to understand that is hard. Because there are um, many side effects of these drugs, and I know you know weight gain is one of them, and there's a problem with uh, people over the long term getting diabetes because of the effect on the pancreas. Is there a way to modulate the medicine so that it's in almost like micro doses, or do you have to abide by a real dose in order to get the real effect? So, so first of all, um, with all medications, there are sometimes recommended windows within which the medication is actually effective. Now, when it comes to children, I actually really do try to go low. Even if the medicine has minimal side effects, if I can get a good response at a low dose, then I don't feel like there's any need to go higher. 
And, and so one of the things that I'm very careful to do is I make sure I understand for myself and I explain to the parents ahead of time, these are the symptoms we're trying to treat and here's what represents an actual improvement. So that when we see that, we know we got there without having to guess. I, I, I can't tell you how many times, you know, I've talked with patients and maybe I've seen somebody else, well, my doctor said this would help with my depression. How was it going to help? Well, they said I'd feel better. Okay, but how were you going to know that you, what did you look at that, that included that? So I try to be really kind of, kind of careful about that. And then the other thing uh, is, unfortunately, some of the medicines do have side effects. There are some side effects that you actually can help with. So weight gain is a huge one. No question that there are some medications that create weight gain, but you know, there are some things that you can still do even with that. Mm -hmm. First of all, letting people know ahead of time that they have to be mindful that they're at risk for weight gain, that they need to be mindful that they should still be exercising. They need to be mindful they should not, you know, overeat. So there are ways that you can still help mitigates some of those side effects, but it's important. And, and weight gain is one of the hard ones right now because, you know, we got a lot of people that are on no medication that are still overweight. So this bipolar is known as a disorder that doesn't, you know, magically go away in the 20s or 30s. In fact, for some people, it could worsen. So the, the news about this being a lifetime treatable disorder, um, how do you handle that? Yeah. Yeah. So first of all, you are correct. Uh, bipolar disorder, once that diagnosis is made, if, an, if the diagnosis is made well, that is a diagnosis for life. You, you're yeah. not going to grow out of it. It's not going to go away. You're not going to cure it. That's, that's just the nature of, of bipolar disorder. And, and one other thing I'll mention is that when you, when you look at all the people that are diagnosed and accurately diagnosed with bipolar, about 83% of them have severe symptoms. This is a yeah. life impacting disorder for those individuals and, yeah. and of course for the families around them. So, you know, one of the things that I try to do is I try to, uh, first of all, get folks to understand, hey, look, this is a diagnosis that you have. It's not good. It's not bad. That's just the fact of the matter, but you can live with it. And there's some mm -hmm. things that you can do. And there are some things that you won't be able to, to necessarily control. But the more you know about yourself, the more you know about your triggers, the more you will be able to anticipate when there's a difficulty so you can do something about it. I'll give you an example. With bipolar disorder, there are some individuals that will be on a medication and it's working great. And yeah. they're very compliant and taking their medication. And now they have an episode. It's not because the medication necessarily stopped working. That's the nature of bipolar. Okay. Oh, wow. So one of the things that I do so that people don't get worried is I prepare them ahead of time. Hey, listen, I'm really glad this lithium is working well. Keep in mind, more than likely there will come a point when this dose won't be working for you or even this medication won't be working for you. So mm. when that happens, don't be overly surprised, but let's work together so that we can figure out what will be the next step because maybe we need to switch to Depakote. And, oh. and if you give people a sense of what can happen before it actually happens, two things. One, they're not surprised. Yeah. And two, they're not afraid now because they, hey, this could have happened. It's fascinating to me how much of your job is sent in those text mails and emails and phone messages off the visits, how, how important it is to be monitoring and to be actually relating to your patients almost consistently throughout, especially when you're going to a new medication. Yes, yes. You know, um, I love technology and I don't mind 
texting. I don't mind emails. I mean, I obviously have all those things in, in play that kind of prevent the privacy and make sure things aren't getting exposed. But I learned very, very early in my practice, if I made myself as available as possible to my patients, patients in generally don't overuse that. Oh, how so fascinating. I'd wow. rather get a text in the middle of the night that somebody's really hurting so I can actually do something yeah. than have them not have a way to reach me and then have something bad occur. There have been times where I have had a patient or two that maybe have overused that. Um, and then I just have an honest discussion with them. Hey, you know, John, I'm really glad that you're able to contact me when you're having some challenges, but let's talk about what are the right challenges to call me for? Cause I want to yeah. be available to you, but I also want to be available to everybody else. Yeah. Super smart. So I want to just give people an idea, you know, you might have a mom who's been, Oh, I, I'm worried my kid has bipolar disorder. What are the signs and symptoms that I should really be talking to a doctor about? Okay. So family members will often notice, you know, that something is going on with a family member, primarily because they're beginning to notice a change, mm -hmm. okay? Hey, th they used to have no problems with sudden change, or they used to have no problems with having to adapt, but I'm noticing over the past couple of months, every time I say we're going to do something different, my adolescent flies off the handle. Mm. So the first thing that I usually will ask parents is, have you noticed a change from what you thought was kind of you know, the way your child was right and now. And what are those changes? Okay. Second, when kids, particularly in adolescence, but also in earlier kids, when their reactions seem out of proportion to what you would expect anybody. Okay. Mm -hmm. So, you know, the kid that flies off the handle because uh, they, they didn't get a cookie. That's a little bit strange. I mm -hmm. mean, I, off, often told them no cookies before dinner, but this is like, you know, screaming, yelling, throwing a tantrum and putting a hole in the wall. That's, you know, out of proportion. So out of proportion. And then the other thing, which I alluded to earlier is that you're noticing that it's not just with you as a parent, it's with kids, you know, Hey, John used to be a great friend that came over all the time and he doesn't come anymore. And, you know, maybe you find out from the mother. Yeah. You know, John really, yeah. Kind of hard being around your son. He tends to be irritable or whatever. So changes from where they usually have been, out of proportion reactions, and then it's happening in all environments, not just at home. Mm, I suppose that it's happening in all environments would be the one that you should really evaluate if your kid is going into adolescence. Yeah. Because yeah. teenagers can fly off the yeah. handle just because of the hormonal changes, but they often maintain their relationships with their friends as being the yes. South, right? Yes. So fascinating. I, I think there's two other points that I would like to highlight because they, they come into play and they're, they're very important. So, so first of all, when it comes to bipolar disorder, it looks like about 60 to 80% of cases do, do indeed uh, appear to be genetic. But more and more of the research is showing that people do sometimes develop bipolar either from significant stressors, particularly those that might lead to PTSD, mm. uh, significant events for individuals um, like a traumatic brain injury or something that actually affects the, um, you know, the brain. Um, in addition, um, we, we do have evidence that sometimes drug use will, you know, lead to um, significant mood instability that seems, you know, irretrievable in the sense that it, it continues. Mm. 
So that's the first thing. Sometimes, you know, so for example, when families come to me and say, well, you know, no one in my family ever had bipolar disorders. Well, you know, that doesn't necessarily mean that because you don't have it genetically in your family, that that's not what we're dealing with. And then the yeah. reverse. Hey, my, my grandfather had bipolar. My mother had bipolar. So I think my kid does. Well, maybe not. Okay. And then the other thing to remember is that when it comes to drug use, and this is really important for adolescents, people with bipolar disorder do have a higher risk for abusing alcohol and drugs. Mm -hmm. uh, for one, they tend to be more risky in their behavior, um, but they also tend to do what's called self-medicate. Sometimes people want to slow themselves down by using um, uh, substances will, that will do that for them. So alcohol is a very common a substance of abuse. Marijuana is a very common substance of abuse. People with true bipolar, they don't usually abuse methamphetamine. It does not make them feel good. In fact, yeah, I've heard that. Off the charts. So, so drug use is something that I'm always, always wary of and, and to ask about. Even when you don't think it's going to be there, it's really a mistake to, to not ask about it. I also just want you to leave us with um, the advice that you'd have because there is such a bias um, against starting young kids on any kind of medication. And you hear many parents being told, oh, you should handle it with exercise and meditation. And But when do those things, those natural interventions just really not work? So first of all, I am not a one or the other. I'm yeah. kind of a, let's use anything and everything that, that we know helps. But right. by the same token, we don't want to overuse. Now, when it comes to children, we know that exercise is good. We know that nutrition is important. We know that sleeping well, all of those things are fine. But when a child is hurting, mm. having challenges with symptoms, that's really affecting their emotional ability. If I have a medication that shows evidence that it can help kids with those types of symptoms, I'm willing to try that with parents knowing full well that if it doesn't lead in the direction where there's a noticeable improvement that, that will change. Mm -hmm. I do highlight to parents, medicines alone rarely help unless you actually add on psychotherapy, counseling, so kid understands what is going on. As you might imagine, there are some parents that are very anti-medication, and, and that's a discussion that we have to have. And then there's some parents that think, oh, there's a medicine for everything, just give them a medicine, and now uh -huh. I don't have to worry. And that's not a good approach. Either. Yeah, your path is always the middle way. I love it, Jim. It's so wonderful. Do you have anything else you want to add just in terms of being able to calm parents who might be worried yeah. about this diagnosis? So, yeah. So here's the first thing I would tell you. In, in my practice over the last 25, 30 years, um, overwhelmingly, when parents come in and say, I think my child has bipolar disorder, usually turns out they don't. That's the first thing. Okay. Oh, that's fantastic. So, so, really. You know, the, actual, the actual prevalence perspective from a childhood perspective is very low, 2%, 3%. Wow. People are sensitized. They tend to ask questions. You know, when we don't know what's going on, we assume the worst. So when a kid is having difficulties with moods, sometimes parents will just jump to bipolar because that's mm. in their mind, that's the worst. Okay. Yeah. So first of all, likelihood is you don't. Second, even if a child does have bipolar, we have great treatments. It's about engaging them and making sure that we're helping them along the way. And there are plenty of people with bipolar disorder that are highly successful. They have jobs, they do well in relationships, they're able to be productive, but they have periods of time where they need a little bit more help, just like somebody would if they had a medical problem. 
Yeah, I love that. Dr. Jim Polo, always so great to see you. Thank you again for being with us. And if you love the podcast, please give us a thumbs up at wherever you listen. Make it a great day. 